You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. So our next guest was a former assistant secretary for manufacturing and services in the U.S. Department of Commerce in the International Trade Administration. That was during the Obama administration. She's got some thoughts on how the presidential election will impact future trade agreements. We have a lot to talk to her about on this Monday. Nicole Lamb-Hale is a managing director at uh, Kroll. She's fellow at Duffin Phelps Institute, um, and she joins us uh on the phone in Washington, D.C. Nicole, it is nice to have you here with us. Welcome to Bloomberg. Well, thank you, Carol. It's great to be with you. You know, it's funny, we kid, Jason and I uh, kind of laugh a little bit about, oh, yeah, it's a, as a presidential election year, because in any other year, that is what every conversation would probably uh, revolve around, and yet this year is unlike any other. Talk to us, though, about, from your perspective, what you're seeing, what you're thinking about when it comes to the upcoming election and when it comes to trade. Sure. Well, I really believe, and and this is something that we talk to our clients with the Duffin Phelps Institute about all the time, is just really the, the differences around kind of a choice between a unilateral and a multilateral approach to trade. Uh, it seems clear to me that the Trump doctrine is kind of a go-it-alone approach that isolates and sometimes alienates the U.S. from our allies. And in some ways, embraces what I would say are market distortive tools such as tariffs and quotas for purchases of of U.S. goods and services. And by contrast, a multilateral approach to trade seeks collaborative action with our allies and and, and, and working together hopes to maybe, you know, nudge uh, uh, countries that don't want to play by the same rules towards playing by those rules. And so I think that that's what the that's what's being set up now in the presidential election as it relates to trade is just those that different kind of approach those different approaches. And so Nicole, I, I guess one of the big questions is if there is a changeover, if you do have a Biden administration, how easy is it to get back to a multilateral world since we've been in this? bilateral or unilateral world now for three and a half years? Well, it's going to be very challenging, Jason, I can tell you, because it's, it's really, there has been a sea change. There have been some norms that, that have obviously changed uh, since the Trump administration came into, into office. And so I think it's, it's going to take us a while to get back to the point where we can be viewed as leaders in the, as a leader in the multilateral approach. I don't think it will happen overnight, uh, but I think it's necessary, particularly when you look at what's happened as it relates to U.S.-China trade. I mean, I think that that in and of itself illustrates kind of the perils of going it alone. Um, I think that, you know, the, the global businesses like our clients with Duff and Phelps and Kroll are really caught in the balance now, kind of in the crosshairs, so to speak, of the U.S.-China uh, trade tensions that, that have been largely brought about, I think, even though they existed prior to President Trump coming into the office, into office, I think they have uh, created, been exacerbated by this go-it-alone uh, approach. Well, and it's interesting because I feel like, Nicole, the U.S. isn't alone in kind of looking inward. And I feel like we've seen, you know, some of this around the world. And I do wonder, though, increasingly, you mentioned China, if we are getting ready to kind of divide the world into China and the countries that want to work with China and the U.S. and the countries that want to work with the U.S.? Well, I think there's a danger of that, and I think that is bad, particularly for global businesses like our clients, because Mm. 
the, the world, you know, what, what we do know now is that global supply chains are, re, are reality. They aren't going, that's not going to change. Uh, we have globalization and we have to learn to work together within this sphere with multinational uh, co- companies that are both in the U.S. and in other countries around the world to find a way to, um, you know, create some normalcy around what global trading rules should be. Um, I think what, what I worry about is, and, and I recognize that there is a, a, a little bit of nationalism that we're seeing around the world, I worry that some of the progress that we've made under, with trade agreements, kind of moving away from tariffs and looking more broadly at policies like environmental protections and labor protections, I'm afraid that we're moving away from that and we're going to get to a point where the global economy and global businesses will suffer. And so, Nicole, when we look at the headlines today and over the weekend and going into the weekend and we see something like the action around TikTok, you know, part of this is about an area that you are very familiar with, which is foreign ownership. You know, you've done a lot of work, uh, I believe, on CFIUS. And, yeah. you know, that looks at it's the committee for our listeners. It's the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., an incredibly important sort of piece of the puzzle here when you think about that element and how it relates to global trade and how it relates to the relationship among superpowers, what do you think about right now? Well, what I worry about is that CFIUS is used and and other uh, similar uh, committees or entities around the world are used not for what they were intended to be used as, as to protect national security, but are used as tools in trade craft. Um, mm. I think that, you know, the, when, as I look at the TikTok transaction, and this is, you know, consistent with my experience when I was on the committee, uh, when I was in the Obama administration, it is really centered, it seems to me, on national security concerns around data privacy of U.S. citizens. And so I think that it's, it's probably right on the mark, um, but it does create, add to the tensions. I mean, we have a trifecta of tensions with China around trade, technology, and geopolitics. So it certainly falls into the kind of the technology tensions. But I think that, you know, data privacy is a real concern. And while, you know, when you look at the legislation that updated the CFIUS process and its focus on protecting PII or personally identifiable information of U.S. citizens, that was always an issue even when I was on CFIUS. But now with the legislation being updated, it's really coming into, into full focus, and it's, it's a legitimate issue. But if CFIUS is used as a tool of tradecraft, then it, you know, it kind of loses its bite, I think, and, mm. and I think we want to avoid that. And so, so help me on it. This is a really important point, and I want to make sure that I understand it, Nicole, which is yeah. what, what is the role or, or what mechanism should be used in this case when it relates to something like TikTok, if there are indeed, and I think there are some questions out there as to whether there are you know, real concerns about data privacy, if there are those concerns, how should this be essentially investigated or, or ultimately litigated? What's the, mechan- what's the right mechanism? Well, I think CFIUS certainly is the right mechanism, especially because this transaction was not reviewed by CFIUS when it was done initially. And CFIUS Uh. does have the ability to look at cases and transactions that were not, they're called non-notified transactions, Jason. And there's no statute of limitations on, you know, how long before CFIUS can look at this. 
you know, they have the ability to open up any transaction that threatens national security. So I think it's the right, um, the right forum for it. What so Cif- so sorry is- to interrupt you. So CFIUS is the yeah. right forum, but basically the administration or the president coming in and being like, you're done or you're done, at, you know, at a date certain is, is maybe not the right thing? Well, you know, CFIUS has typically been a process that's been confidential. You know, it's, it's a highly, um, uh, because it's a national security focused yeah. review process, it's, it's usually not something that you read about in the media as much as we have in the last few days. So, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about that because that's a, that's a change in norms. But I do believe that CFIUS is the right uh, venue for, for these issues to be resolved. And if indeed the intelligence reports show that there is a data privacy risk for U.S. citizens, then it's the right decision for CFIUS to be reviewing this and to possibly cause it cause a divestment here. What do you hear, Nicole, from some of your clients that you guys work with? I mean, you work with, you know, more than half of, I believe, the S&P 500 companies. I mean, household companies that certainly our listeners know of. I'm curious what they see as the trade environment going forward, especially if there is a second term under Donald Trump or whether there's a change in the White House? Do they yeah. have a preference? Well, well you know, it's, 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 it's a very good question, Carol. And what I'd say is our clients with the Duffenfels Institute really want certainty. Mm-hmm. Even if the news isn't great, even if it's not ideal, the ping pong approach or the seesaw approach of, you know, tariffs are X, at X level one day, you know, another level another day, they're on the table, they're off the table, that really interferes with the ability of global businesses to do long-term business planning. So I think that certainly if President Trump is reelected, we'll see more of the same, a continuation of kind of the unilateral approach to trade negotiations. I mean, the president has been very clear that he does not favor multilateral negotiations. He'd rather do bilateral negotiations. So I I anticipate that that will continue. In a Biden administration, I think we will see more of what I described earlier as a multilateral approach, Mm -hmm. which really gets to or speaks to working with our allies so that we have a little bit more of a united front and maybe more sway with China. If you think about the the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership effort, uh, you know, that was designed to work with our allies to create an alternative to the approach that that China was taking, taking as it related to trade. And I could see with a Biden administration a move towards something more like that. Nicole, I wanted to ask you about COVID-19 because obviously that complicated, to say the least, the relationship between U.S. and China. And it's hard to sort of tease out the threads necessarily, or it takes a little work to tease out the threads of what is a trade tension, what is a health tension, what is a political tension, what is an economic tension. In some ways, they're all wrapped up together. What were the implications of the world and the U.S. specifically, and I guess China on the front end, of dealing with COVID-19 and how that affected kind of the equation here? Well, it certainly has complicated the equation because, as I mentioned, the trifecta earlier earlier of trade technology and geopolitics, when you sprinkle, you know, kind of the impact of the origins and handling of COVID-19, uh, it really complicates further the U.S.-China relationship. And I can tell you that the impact that we've seen with our clients is that, you know, they, they, if they didn't understand the need for this before, they now know that they really have to diversify their supply chains. 
Uh, we have seen a lot of tension in the supply chains uh, around the world as a result of COVID-19. You know, China has been just kind of uh, the center of much of manufacturing activity, particularly in supply chains. And it's, it's just, I think it's been a wake-up call that, that companies really need to be looking around the corner even more around what could happen if the center, you know, if they, if they have too much of an investment in one area of the world and their supply chains, what that can mean for their businesses overall. China has been, though, so important, Nicole, as you well know, to the supply chain. Are people, yeah. are companies, is it, is it more of a, okay, we need to, you know, spread out our supply chains? Is it also, though, we need to reduce our exposure to China? I think it's a little bit of both. Mm. Uh, because certainly what China, China has an advantage because they've really been successful at, at creating the value as it relates to the supply chains, particularly with manufacturing companies who are global. That's been a great base uh, for, um, for such companies, and they've perfected that craft. And certainly there are other countries that can benefit from some of the shifts, like Vietnam and, and even India, but they aren't at the same level as China. Uh, in terms of their maturity in the supply chains. So I think that what companies are doing is, you know, they know and recognize that they need to remain in China, but they're beginning to build in other areas as well to try to hedge their bets a bit. And some of that may even involve where it's appropriate uh, economically reshoring to the U.S. You know, one of the other political uh, issues, political and trade and economic issues has been, you know, right here on this continent, Nicole, and I know you're familiar with this as well, uh, very familiar, which is the USMCA, the recut of NAFTA. What did that tell us about the state of trade as it relates to, you know, our neighbors to the north and south, Canada and Mexico? Well, I think that what's really important to recognize today is that Regions are competing, not just countries. And so it's important to have a strong North American trade agreement for our region to be successful. It benefits the U.S., China, and Mexico. So I think that, you know, it's, it's been important, an important uh, development. It did modernize NAFTA. In fact, the irony, Jason, is it was modeled after the TPP that the Obama administration right. uh, put forward, a lot of the provisions that are there. Are, are very much uh, along the lines of what I talked about in terms of focuses on labor and environmental concerns. So, I, you know, I think it's very positive that the, that the North American region is able to be competitive with the rest of the world. So, so much of this, whether we're talking about U.S.-China, whether we're talking about USMCA, or as Carol Master likes to call it, USMCA, because, you know, we just love <laughs> acronyms. She doesn't actually. I just teach I her don't. about that. Others do, though. Others do. Um, but, you know, when I think about this through a political lens, Nicole, so much of it comes back to, especially in a presidential election year, to jobs. And that's the way it's right. framed. That's the way it's framed on both sides of the equation. You know, I was listening to the, I'm sort of showing a little of my podcast listening here. I was traveling this weekend with my son and we listened to the Joe Rogan interview with Bernie Sanders from like way back in the day, which it, or from a year or so ago, which is interesting to listen to because there's obviously no talk of a pandemic. But one of the mm-hmm. things that Bernie Sanders on the far left talks about is the same thing that you hear from President Trump about, you know, offshore 
restoring jobs and taking care of American workers. And that's the political lens that we that so many people see this through. How does this fit in and how does it get magnified, the jobs question, when it comes to trade because we're in a presidential year? You know, it's a great question, Jason. And I don't know that I have the perfect answer, but, but what I would say is that the, the, the positive of the USMCA is that, you know, there's, there was a lot of focus on um, the content in the region, U.S. content, uh, ensuring that the levels were higher in terms of being able to take advantage of the, of the uh, most favored nation status, so to speak, within the, within the region, having a certain level, a higher level of U.S. content in, in goods and services than existed under NAFTA. And, and that's good for jobs. I mean, it's good for American jobs, you know, especially when you look at an industry like the automotive industry, where products at, at various stages of completion are going back and forth abroad, across both the, the, the northern border and the southern border daily several times. That's good for jobs. I think, though, what, what I will say is in, in a political year like we have now, you know, trade is a very convenient boogeyman. And I think that, you know, often both parties use, use it to, to varying degrees. Um, if, if we look at the facts, you know, I think that, that they, they bear out that increases in exports, and if we look at it even between, you know, Canada, the U.S., and Mexico, create jobs and support jobs, sustain jobs. And when you think about that and you think about the, the North America competing with the rest of the world and, and exporting to the rest of the world, that is also good for American jobs. So hey, it, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing, but it's, it's something that is, is certainly in an election year does get elevated in the way you suggest it. Nicole, while we have you, and I am curious because since you have such a great direct line into, you know, many of the nations and world's kind of big companies, uh, I am curious um, how nervous they are about the second half of the year. You know, here they are looking at, you know, potentially a change in the White House or a continuation of the current administration. And then we also have the virus and the yeah. impact that that is having on many, many businesses, on workers, on the economy. I'm just curious about what you're hearing uh, from them on that front. Yes. Well, I thank you, uh, Carol. The, the, the question is, is, is a good one, and it really varies by industry. As, as we're seeing, I mean, our, you know, our clients in travel and tourism are very nervous. The COVID virus not being under control has really hurt them uh, financially. And, and there's really, at this point, we don't know where the bottom is. And so there's concern about that uncertainty, uh, the con- uncertainty around, you know, consumer purchasing patterns weighs on our clients' minds. Um, supply chain continues to be, you know, stability of the supply chain continues to be a concern. And then when, and those are things that, no one can control. You know, President Trump, Trump can't control those. A, 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 a President Biden wouldn't be able to control those. All we can do is try to manage this virus. Um, the uncertainty around the change in administration and policy direction, I think, is is common at this juncture in our political calendar. Um, I think our clients, you know, want to know, you know, kind of where the regulatory direction will be, depending on who, who wins uh, the White House. Uh, with President Trump, you, I assume it's more of the same, and they do too. Uh, but, you know, there's still so much uncertainty given many of the, the changes and norms that existed and allowed multinational companies based in the U.S. and otherwise to make the, do the long-term uh, business planning that they are accustomed to doing. 
So what's the biggest challenge if if we do see a Biden administration? This sort of goes back to where we started at the beginning, uh, Nicole, just to wrap up our conversation here. If there is a Biden administration, what's the single biggest challenge when it comes to trade? Or what's the first thing you would advise a Biden administration to do to potentially change the direction of where we are, especially when it comes to getting to a multilateral world, a more multilateral world? Well, the first thing that I would have uh, advise a President Biden to do, and this is even broader than trade, it has, happens to really relate to U.S. foreign policy generally, is outreach to our allies and, 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 and reassuring our allies that the United States is interested in a multilateral approach to trade. I mean, if we look at it, Jason, I mean, we've been warring with some of our traditional allies in Europe over trade. Mm. They don't know what box we're coming out of, you know, and not to mention China and the rest of Asia. So I think the first thing that the that a President Biden would need to do is really try to get back to level, to level set the leadership that the United States has had in the areas of foreign policy and trade that have really been altered to a point where they're they're kind of, in, in my view, unrecognizable and they are unrecognizable to our our allies and to global businesses. I think we need to kind of go back to the center and then go from there. <laughs> I think yeah. that would be the best thing to do. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, we know a lot of people are going to be focused on this, especially over the next few months. We really appreciate that overview and you spending so much time with us. Nicole Lamb-Hale, she's a fellow at the Duffin Phelps Institute, also former assistant secretary of commerce for manufacturing and services in the Obama administration. She joined us on the phone from the nation's capital, Carol. Some really good context. I mean, and important to think about these issues. I feel like we get so caught up in a lot of the politics. This is just some good old fashioned policy. Sean Donnan somewhere is like, they just had a 25-minute conversation about trade. trade. I love it. It's reality check, right? Because we totally. do spend so much time talking about the virus, and understandably so. It impacts you know, all of the industries that uh, we touch upon. But at the same time, she's got clients who are very much thinking about the trade environment, yep. right? And going back to that, that's a core thing in terms of you know, how they construct their business or develop longer-term strategies, whether it's reassessing or you know, redesigning their supply chain. So um, a really deep dive when it comes to trade. Loved it. And it's all connected. It's all connected the politics, the economics of it. And I mean, when was the last time we talked about uh, your favorite trade agreement, USMACA? USMACA. I, I know. know. Back, back, <laughs> back, back, back on in the, the zeitgeist. Agenda. Back on the agenda. 